Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. So glad that I have this time with you today. I hope your day's been going well. It's pretty important we ask good questions. I'm very excited to have uh, Dr. Heather Holloman back on the show for the full hour. She uh, really started her blog learning uh, the moves to Michael Jackson's Beat It in her kitchen. And she loves finding the beauty in ordinary days. And I really like that about her. She got her Ph.D. in English Lit from the University of Michigan. She teaches college writing both freshman comp and advanced writing at Penn State. She is obsessed with vivid verbs like grapple, fritter, and effervesce. She also greatly admires the semicolon. It's the most beautiful and misunderstood punctuation mark. I could say a lot more, but let's just uh, introduce her, get her on. Hi, Heather. How are you? I'm so excited to be back on your program, although that introduction does make me seem you know, rather quirky, but I'll take it. I'll take it. You are kind of quirky, but that's what, that's what we like about you. It's always fun Great. to have you on. And you've written a new book, which is awesome. It's called The Six Conversations, Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility. Boy, those are two words that jump off the page. Yes. And in fact, Bill, this is my very first interview about this book. You're my first one. Oh, it doesn't wow. come out until October. Oh, awesome. This is the very first time I have spoken about this book on the radio, so I am so excited to be on your show. This is going to be such a good conversation. Well, thank you for, uh, thank you for talking about it uh, with me today. Well, let's start with why. Okay, why did you write this book on, on having better conversations? Well, how did all this get started? Well, I wrote it for two reasons. Number one, my husband and I wrote a best-selling book on evangelism called Sent, and it's about how to share your faith. And in all the evangelism training that we were doing, people were saying, okay, you've told us how we can share our faith, but can you go back a step because we don't even know how to have good conversations (laughs) in general. So we thought that was funny. Okay, how are people going to share their faith? The most important thing, precious things to your heart. If you still feel awkward just engaging with people in general, the second reason I wrote it, as a college professor, the epidemic of loneliness and disconnection is real. People are lonely. I was looking at the Cigna Health study that came out of, you know, 20,000 adults, and that study is astonishing. It says that half of Americans say that they do not have daily meaningful conversations. Two in five say their relationships are not meaningful people are feeling always alone. And I, you know, I'm getting emails about diseases of despair in the state of Pennsylvania alone because people are disconnected. They, they do not have warm connections. So I'm looking at those two reasons, you know, my college students, the, my passion for evangelism, talking about Jesus. And I thought, I have got to do something. Something is going wrong. And all the social science research says that our personal happiness depends upon warm, intimate relationships, our ability to connect deeply with others. So that's what began my research and just all the literature about how to have a good conversation and how to have warm connections with others. Yeah, so important and so well said. So let's talk about the four mindsets of a loving conversation. Now, I, of course, I've not read your book, so I'm going to have to just go on some notes I have here. Uh, talk about these mindsets. 
Yes. Now, this is what makes the book unique because, you know, you can get lots of books right now on, oh, ask this question, do this, do this. But as I was collecting all of the best research on what it means to connect well with another person, I learned that you really have to change your mindset in how you're connecting with people. And the four mindsets that always have to be operative if you're going to connect well with someone. So think about your spouse, your neighbor, a student, a child, anyone in your life. You need to do four things. You have to be curious. You have to believe the best about that person. You have to express concern about their lives. And then you have to share your life. If one of those things is missing, you will not feel a warm connection. And so the book really talks about how to cultivate those mindsets. And as I was doing all the research, I was like, oh, social scientists are saying this is, this is everything you need. But, Bill, what I loved is the Bible already taught that thousands of years ago. It's Philippians 2. It's Romans. You know, it's Romans 12. It's about how to love people well. So you're curious. You believe the best about them you express concern, and you share your life. And it's really rooted in Philippians 2 about taking on the interests of other people and valuing them above yourselves as the foundation of how you start a conversation with any person. Heather, it seems that there's a lot of skepticism, though, when people are talking that there's a reservedness, like, "Mm, I don't know if I can buy this. So the second quality you talked about, if you just give me the four one more time. Yes, you're going to believe the best. Believe the best. Yeah, that's rooted in the best research about if you're with someone and you know that they like you, you know they value you, Mm -hmm. and you can even express this in conversation. So when I'm out with a friend, I love my friend Stephanie, who knows I'm going to talk about her. She's an engineer. We have nothing in common, Bill. You would think think we would never be best friends. Right. She literally will say, Heather, I love being with you. You are so fun. I, she's just, she, she believes the best about me. I know that she's not suspicious about me. Right. She's not trying to undermine my political beliefs or my faith in Jesus. She just believes the best. So you literally can say to people, I love talking to you. I'm going to accept you without judgment. Now I use, you know what the hard part about this is I used to be highly critical, highly suspicious to people. And it was a marriage counselor who saved my marriage and taught me the notion of what's called unconditional positive regard. It means you choose to unconditionally have positive regard for your husband, your wife, your children. And it's the foundation of my teaching in the college classroom. When students, when I walk in the classroom, students know, I believe in you. I think great things about you. I'm your biggest fan. They know that. And all the research shows that if someone knows that, guess what's going to happen to them? They're going to become more creative. You're going to get a better performance out of them. You're creating happiness in their brain as you're talking to them. Now, the culture is the opposite. We're in a, we're in a, in, you know, they call it the outrage industry where everyone's angry and complaining and suspicious and critical. Really, that's going to destroy your warm connections with people. So believe the best. The second is express concern share your life, and um, obviously have curiosity as the, you know, interpersonal curiosity, really being curious about other people will make you just a, you're going to thrive, you're going to flourish if you begin to, to like go about your day with this skill of interpersonal curiosity, being curious about other people. Mm-hmm. Do you find this happens when you're maybe with a group of girls and you're a group of women, you're out having lunch or something and Somebody 
says something about their personal life. And because oftentimes people listen autobiographically, they don't say, oh, I didn't, I'm sorry to hear that or, or that's interesting. They go in, instantly into their own story about something relative to it. Yes, yes, that's, that is, that is, I talk in the book about kind of the pitfalls of conversation. You want to be a supportive listener. Right. Now, a supportive listener is you're listening to whatever they're saying and you're listening to figure out, okay, what it, the person who's speaking the story they're telling me, how does it reflect their core values? Has something changed in their life? I'm listening for the story of transformation. I, I talk in my book about what you're actually listening for. And that's why expressing concern is really important. You're going to support that person. You're going to say, you're going to make empathetic statements. And you're going to even ask them, how can I support you right now? I'm going to give you three things. I can take you out to coffee. Do you want me to deliver a meal or do you want me to take a walk with you? How can I show you support right now? Mm. And then later you can say after they've had plenty of time to share, because one of the other principles is you do have to share your life. Otherwise it's an interview. Right. You never share. Yeah. <laughs> Although we'll share our lives, Bill, but if you never share your life, yeah. you're just Katie Corrick. You're just a really good interviewer. So what I learned is, at, at some point, you have to make a connection. You have to say, you know what, I've been through something like that. Or you can say, it doesn't have to relate to their story. You can just, when it's your turn in conversational turn-taking, you have to share your life. You have to talk vulnerably. You have to talk about what you're going through. So, But not too soon. You need to be a supportive listener. Ask good questions. Be curious. The book gives you six categories of follow-up questions once you, you know, make a connection with people. And so that's the part about the book I think you're really going to love is like, what do you, where do you go next in conversation? How do I prevent this awkward pause? I'm so disconnected. I don't know how to talk to people. What do I do? That's what the book really teaches you how to do. Mm. I'm the master of the awkward pause. Think you are at all? Oh, no, you're funny. No, you're no, funny I am. I, I, like. <laughs> I have to process stuff, and that creates that pause. Uh, but I think one thing you should probably never say is, "I know exactly how you feel." Well, <laughs> you can say I've been through something like that. Yeah, but just you're to say, right, you're right. Yeah, yeah, but to say I know exactly how you feel, that probably is something you should never say. I'm guessing. Well, the only time that that I haven't minded that I had to have three emergency surgeries this year, Bill, three. And I really felt like nobody understood what it was like to be in the emergency room or how to, you know, anesthesia. I really appreciated people that were like, you know what? I've had a kidney stone surgery. I know exactly how you feel. That made me not feel alone. Okay. Because, and then I had another surgery that was like really difficult recovery related to fibroids. And I was like, who in this neighborhood has gone through this? Tell me, I need to know everything, you know, <laughs> and they would come and say, I want okay. to. So, yeah, but when you're dealing with people who are grieving, you never want to say, I know how you feel. When you're dealing with someone who's experiencing loss or disappointment, you ne- if it's a negative emotion, don't say, you know, I know exactly how you feel. In fact, I'm dealing in my friendships right now with people who are just in a really hard season. I have fr- a friend who lost her son. And what I'm learning through the research of my book is to ask questions that nobody may ask her. And she told me the other day, Heather, you asks, you have asked me the best questions. And one of the questions I asked her, because I talk about, it's called, the book is called The Six Conversations 
because it's about six pathways of connecting with people based on the six dimensions of being human. And that is we are social, physical, emotional, cognitive, volitional, and spiritual. Well, guess what category is the easiest to talk about, but people always forget to ask. Can you guess? Guess what's the easiest, but everyone forgets to ask this question. What do you think it is, Bill? Um... Social, physical, cognitive, emotional, spiritual, volitional. Volitional is choices that you're making. So imagine you're with a grieving friend. You have six categories of questions. What, what do you think is the easiest that everyone forgets to ask? Uh, I would say spiritual. <laughs> you're so awesome. That's actually the hardest one. <laughs> do you know the easiest one that I learned in my research? And this is with talking about, you know, with trauma experts, people think, yeah. okay, let's, and I tried it on my students. It's the physical. When I said to my friend, and physical means your physical space, your body, how you're experienced in the world, through your senses. My grieving friend, her, her son died. I went over to her house. You can imagine the trauma. Everyone's crying. It's terrible. I said to my friend, I just really want to know where are you carrying this pain in your body? Hmm. And she was like, oh, my gosh, I have to tell you, I never expected the nausea. My husband and I wake up shaking and our stomachs are so nauseous. She went on and on. Bill, she needed to talk about her body. Wow. So that is so interesting, day, Heather. I know. So the next day, I thought, okay, now again, I, teach, I taught technical writing this semester, so I have admittedly, by their own admission, introverted, shy, highly technical aerospace engineers, people doing quantum computing. These are students who admittedly not only do not like to have conversations, but they knew I was writing this book, and they were like, yeah, we're shy, we're awkward, help us. Well, I asked them, I said, okay, I'm going to start with, I'm going to start with one of my favorite conversations about, you know, a physical aspect of your experience. And they said, okay, what is it going to be? I said, well, let's go around the room. I want to know, how did you sleep last night? They talked forever about their sleep patterns, what prevents their sleep, what, you know, what these guys stay up all night. They're doing computer programming. The girls are like, yeah, I don't get beauty sleep. You don't get beauty sleep as an engineer. And I realized people like to talk about their bodies. That's so, so interesting. Every time, I know. So every time I'm with someone, if I move down those categories, and the book talks about how to discover a person's preferred conversation. So my mm-hmm. friend had knee surgery. I went over, brought <laughs> him. Cookies. Heather, I, I have to, can I tell you where I'm carrying my anxiety right now? What? Uh, in the time clock, because my producer is looking at me going, if you don't take a break... Uh, like real soon, you're going to be in trouble. So I, I got to take, take a break. Okay, we'll okay. be right back. We're talking to Dr. Heather Holloman and her brand new book. And I don't want to start a feeding frenzy because it's not out yet, but it will be soon. Called uh, The Six Conversations, Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility. Be right back. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Dr. Heather Holloman is my guest. She teaches composition and advanced writing at Penn State. She's an author herself. She's written many books, and they're amazing. You can go to heatherholloman.com. She spells her last name H-O-L-L-E-M-A-N, heatherholloman.com. Uh, so interesting, Heather, about where people uh, t- talk about their bodies and where they're carrying their pain and their grief and everything else. Um, that's so interesting. Uh, 
People like to talk about their bodies. Yeah, I guess. So I was going to say, as the book talks about helping figuring out what people want to talk about and what you can do is move down the categories of the six dimensions of being human and you can watch people light up and talk more based on what they want to talk about. So, for example, my friend down the street had knee surgery, so I went and bought a plate of cookies. And so I moved down. First question I asked was a social question like, hey, was your girlfriend there? Did she come? One word answer. Then I moved to the emotional. How did you feel about the surgery? Fine. You know, one word. Then I moved through, you know, cognitive. Hey, what, what are your choices moving forward with basketball? Whatever. I'm moving through everything. Bill, one word answers. I'm like going down in flames here. Then I asked the physical question. <laughs> I literally wanted to have a warm connection with my neighbor. So I said, you know what? What is this recovery like physically? What is your physical therapy going to be like? He talked for 45 minutes. Wow. We went on and on. So you want to move through, and the most overlooked category is the physical, and especially people love to talk about their physical spaces. Like, hey, have you redecorated your bedroom? Or like if you're dealing with a young person, they love to talk about their space, their bedrooms. You know, if you're meeting a new neighbor, older people, I found as I investigated the research, they do love to talk about their gardens, their craft projects. So when you're with someone, don't forget the physical, physical spaces and their bodies. That's so interesting. All right, well, let's yes. talk about the goals of a good conversation. Yes. Okay. So you've got your mindsets down. You leave your house. You're you're curious. You believe the best about people. You're expressing concern. You're sharing your life. But then a lot of people ask questions, and then the conversation feels chit chatty. You don't get that warm connection that's needed for mental health. That's needed for that sense of well being. And so what I discovered was. We need to think about the goal of our communication with people. And I found three very unusual goals of when you connect with someone. So think about your spouse or your, or your children or whoever you're with today. Three things. When they talk to you, your goal is mutual encouragement, meaning conversations are about encouraging each other, helping someone grow in, in whatever ways they're growing. So aiding personal growth. And the last one is marveling helping people experience awe. If you can do those three things, you're going to feel so connected to people. So it can be anything. And I talk about how to start conversations and ask questions that actually help people, um, you know, actually respond and get in a conversation. So when you think about, so just remember those encouragement, personal growth, helping people experience awe and wonder, essentially helping them worship God. So when you ask a person a question, no matter what it is, so say, you know, someone's returning from travel in your family, by the way, this relates to your introduction, Bill, about the the problem with, you know, with weak verbs. I'm obsessed with vivid verbs and semicolons. You want to put a strong verb in there because Mm -hmm. people, people do not like to answer questions that have weak verbs. So say your husband returns from travel. Don't say, how was your trip? It is a existential question that's hard. That's why you get one-word answers. No one knows how to answer, how was your trip? So my husband and I have learned to put in a strong verb there. So if I'm coming home from a trip, he doesn't say, how was your trip? He'll say, Heather, I'm so glad to see you. Did anything surprise you this time on this trip? Now, that verb surprise, I'm like, oh, yeah, let me tell you this, this, and this, and this. Now, as he moves through a conversation with me, you know, think of the four mindsets. He stays curious. He believes the best about me. He expresses concern. He shares his life. Then what do you do? What's the whole point? Well, how can you have a moment of encouragement with that person? Scripture talks about 
bearing each other's burdens, speaking words of encouragement. Think about the, the kind of theology of a loving conversation. You know, maybe you need to remind your friend of God's presence or how God is carrying your burden or, or compliment the person on a character trait that you see in how they handled themselves or whatever. And then you can move through, okay, we've encouraged each other. Now, what about helping people with their personal projects, things that, how they want to develop, how they want to grow? You're going to have so many friends if you just say to your people in your life, hey, what personal projects are you working on? Just how, and then how can, I, how can you help them achieve their goals? And then the last is marveling. And I give these examples of incredible friends in my life that know how to get me to a moment of awe in a conversation, usually by pointing out the mysterious, the supernatural, something about nature. They're, they're, these are the friends that are like, oh, my gosh, did you notice that? What even is that? Let's get super curious about this bizarre thing happening right now. You know, we're on a nature walk, and my friend is always like, why did God make birds? Why did God make them sing? You know, when we're like marveling by the end of the walk. So those are kind of ways you can think, okay, where do I want this conversation to end? Encouragement, personal growth, or can you worship God together? And so the book really helps you kind of get those mindset shifts and those goals down before you move into the practical skills. So if you're frustrated by one word answers, maybe we just need better questions. (laughs) Exactly. I've learned which questions get one word answers. It's like, how was, you know, and even if you think the book, I do talk about classic um, conversational topics. So weather, sports, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. But I learned if you revise those questions, you are going to be amazed at what happens to you. So I was at the church info desk and we had a big snow day and I was like, okay, everyone's going to talk about the weather. But instead of saying, you know, what do you think about this storm or, hey, big snowstorm? You know what I said, Bill? What? I said, are you a snow person? I just said, are you a snow person? And guess what? People were like, no, I'm not a snow person. Let me tell you the story of what happened to me in the last snowstorm. <laughs> or they told me, you know, they just went through. They had to tell me all these things. I got more stories out of people and more connections by just, you know, asking that. Now, with basketball or like what a, a sporting event, instead of talking about the game, instead of making it a really shallow conversation, I go to the social. If someone says, yeah, yeah, I'm going to the basketball game, I'll say, oh, who are you going with? And they'll say, oh, I'm going with, you know, Bill. And I'll say, hey, have you been spending a lot of time with Bill? How'd you guys get connected? Like you can just go the social path mm-hmm. and talk about friends. It's just so easy. You're going to love this book. Oh, it I can't wait. conversation so easy. Yeah. When does it come out, Heather? October. You can pre-order. Okay. okay. And I am starting to do more radio interviews about it, but I haven't, there's not a lot published about it, but what you can do is get excited about, okay, in the fall, before the Sweet. holidays, Sweet. I'm going to get really good at this. All right. Yeah, well, good. We're going to have you back on in the fall, but I need to take another break. Dr. Heather Holloman is my guest. Her book, which is out in October, is called The Six Conversations, Pathways to Connecting in the Age in an Age of Isolation and Incivility. We'll be right back. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance.
good to have Dr. Heather Holloman as my guest. She's a author, a teacher, a speaker. You can learn more about her at heatherholloman.com, H-O-L-L-E-M-A-N. We're talking about her soon-to-be-released book in October called The Six Conversations, Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility. Heather, I have so many questions to ask, and one of the things I want to ask is... What goes wrong in conversations? Why aren't we having good conversations? Now, you've given us some good tools, but yeah. where, where are we going wrong? Well, if you're missing any of the mindsets, that's going to be bad. Okay. If you're not, if you're not so that's the first thing. Spend a lot of time reading Chapter 1. And then what I learned are, we call them the 10 pitfalls in conversation. As I And again, I, was re, I kind of scanned all the social science literature so you didn't have to. Okay. So I kind of did all the hard research so you can just be really excited to read this chapter. So here's what goes wrong in conversations. Obviously, criticizing, you know, complaining. And these are things that sabotage the goals of conversation. So you're not going to be an encourager if you're criticizing, complaining, giving a lot of advice. Guess what I learned, Bill? Hmm. Nobody, want, nobody wants advice. They will ask you if they want advice. They don't want, nobody wants advice. Have you ever been in a conversation and the person immediately just tells you what you're supposed to do and you weren't actually looking for advice? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Okay, self-absorption. Now, I've talked to people who know that I'm writing this book and they said to me, well, honestly, I just don't care enough about people to ask about their lives. They don't care. They just are self-absorbed. They're self-obsessed. They don't see the value in understanding the gift that it is to talk to another person. If you think about it, Mary Piper, who I love, she's a therapist. She says that every time you're with another person, you're with someone that has a one of a kind viewpoint on the universe because of who they are. You will never get anything from any other person that you can get from that person. It's a treasure. And to kind of have that attitude of like profound awe when you're just with someone to ask them questions. You're going to learn something about them. Divisiveness. Now, what I found, what's interesting as I go through this list, if you think of Galatians 5 and the fruit of the flesh, I think I'm bad at math, but I think 75% of the things listed as fruit of the flesh are divisive um, divisive things that you're doing. So like fits of rage, selfish ambition, you know, dissension. It's all about things that divide. So divisiveness, flattery, people like compliments, but they want genuine connection with you. So I talk a little bit about flattery, manipulation. Are you using that person for something? And just to be honest about that, are you using that person for something? And I talk about how that feels, especially as sort of like being in the public eye, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but when people approach me for friendship, really quickly I find out, oh, they just want to know my agent or they just want to connect with my publisher. That is, It just makes me feel terrible. I'm like, okay, you didn't really want to connect. Um, codependence, and there's a part of that book that talks about being overly involved and feeling like you need to care for someone emotionally. Um, it's just caution. Just You don't need to. You can carry people's burdens, but there's sort of this evaluation in the book of how you know if they're getting too kind of enmeshed with enmeshed with a person. And then gossip and then arrogance. We do not like pride. You, When you're with someone who's teachable, who's humble, who wants to learn from you, who's not a know-it-all, those are things that we really value. So as, we, as you move through that list, I, what I love about it is it's really convicting. And I even share openly, like, yeah, I struggle with flattery. 
I can be self-absorbed. I love giving advice because I'm a teacher. And I, it, the book really helps you think, okay, what am I doing? What am I doing in conversation? Why aren't my conversations going well? And so you'll be able to quickly evaluate, okay, I need to grow in this area. And then um, after you do that, you can kind of refresh the basics of how to have a great conversation and sort of the skills I think people need to relearn, just letting others speak, limiting distractions, you know, having a loving face, things like that. But my favorite part of the book is where I talk about what you're actually listening for. When you are listening, you're listening to support them, to know what their core values are. You're really listening to figure out what their what story they're trying to tell you and why, how it fits into the narrative of their life. It's the biggest gift you can give someone to listen with that kind of attention. That's so true. When I'm looking at the list of the 10 pitfalls, and I'm looking at self-absorption, does it seem, Heather, that right now in, in the world there's more people trying to get they're desperate for attention. They're look. They're in the look at me business, and yes, yes. And look what I just posted. Like my post. Yes. Here are nineteen pictures from uh, dinner tonight. Yes. Like them all. It, doesn't that kind of make it difficult to um, to have better conversations when you're getting yes. bombarded with that? You know, it's the illusion of intimacy, and it's actually. Mm so damaging. I mean, the research is really indisputable about how terrible social media is. So I actually don't know why we're on it at all other than for education and sharing news. And, you know, what I've learned is what you're seeing is a lot of people that are in one-sided conversations and then they have, you know, followers or fans that are posting, but say TikTok, for example, you have people that have 6 million followers and, and 6 million views. But if you follow those people, inevitably they're going to have a post where they talk about how lonely they are, that they have no in-person conversation and the effect it's having on their life. I've probably seen five or six of those, of um, these big influencers that talk about the loneliness of, yeah, I made five videos today in my house, but I haven't talked to one person. So you're essentially talking to a camera and then creating this sense that you have friends but you're not engaging with real people. And then you become an entity. This is a whole nother book I could write about the impact of fame and the impact of creating a proxy self on social media. It's so bad for you, Bill. It is so bad for your brain because it's not a real self. Mm -hmm. You created a fake self that can't connect with anyone because it's not a real person. I mean, I guess some people do it well. I don't know. I don't know how to do it. I'm on Twitter I'm on all the social media platforms, but I can't find out, I can't figure out how to do it in a way that feels authentic other than news. Like I put a picture of my daughter in her prom dress so people could see her going to prom, mm-hmm. but I don't really know why I did that. I really <laughs> don't know why. Was it helpful? Mm. Was it helpful to anyone? It was yeah. a cute dress. Yeah. I don't know. So even when I do things like introduce you on the show, you've got amazing credentials and credits and you've written all kinds of books. I kind of took the direction of saying Heather is not only talented, she's kind of quirky, and she's going to be great radio, so here she is. I don't know if you have a preference, if you like one over the other. What 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 do you like? Well, I'll tell you, Bill. I love The reason why I said yes to your program is it feels like I'm talking to a real person, like we're, like we're having coffee or something in my kitchen, mm-hmm. and you're just really good at warm connection. So I, you mean in terms of radio, do I like radio? No, I, I, mean, love radio. I, I appreciate that comment, but even 
when I go to introduce you, I think, well, I can't get too technical, although listeners might like hearing all the books you've written, but I feel like I'm bringing my friend on for coffee. So that's why I probably yeah. was a little bit more casual. But No, I love that. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, yeah. I don't know if you you know, would think, well, you should give more credits, let people know the books I've written and all that, because you know, you are you are in a business of wanting to sell books because your books are wonderful, and I want people to get your books. But, um, yeah, I'm just curious as to what works best for you. Well, what you did worked works best. Oh, good. I love that. Good. <laughs> Is that what you mean? Well, uh, I, I suppose that that answers <laughs> answers yes, that question. Yes. I mean, I do think credentials matter, though, for people. Like, I'm not a social scientist. My PhD is in literature, but I spend a lot of time thinking carefully about building community in my classroom and then investigating the social science research. But I think if I were your listener, I'd want to know that. Like, well, who is she? Is she a theologian? Is she right. a social scientist? So it's, that is important to position people so you're making sure you're listening to the right people. Most of my books are from personal experience. Like I've rehabilitated, the Holy Spirit's rehabilitated my life, and I write the story of how God healed me. And this book is really about healing from loneliness and my own miserable attempts at connecting with people and how I've had to learn how to have warm connections with people over the years. So that's the real credibility, I think, is the story. Mm-hmm. Heather, what do you think about the current climate of our conversations? Maybe what are you even noticing at, at, at Penn State and in your own community? Well, what is what prompted me to write the book was in the last four years, um, really in the height of it being 2020, probably, you know, the election, COVID, the, the um, conversations surrounding racial justice, all of that stuff. What I noticed is, Most of my students and most of campus felt like they were in what scientists call a reactive mode. You're in a reactive brain state. You're angry. You're complaining. Everything's terrible. The problem with the reactive brain state is nobody's listening to each other and nobody's willing to change their mind about anything. So there's no productive civil conversation. It's it's rooted in anger. And then I looked at the research coming out of Tufts University by the people who wrote about the industry of outrage And they said that what's happened is there is just so many barriers because of the outrage industry on the news and in social media that it's bled into our social interactions and how it manifests is you leave your house and you're afraid to talk to your neighbor in case they support a different, you know, candidate Mm -hmm. or you're afraid to talk to your neighbor in case they feel differently about vaccines. So everything's about suspicion anger, outrage. And so what I've been teaching my students is really what that's doing is destroying your conversations. And you need to go back to believing the best. So positive regards. So believing the best about someone, especially if you disagree with them politically or about anything else, believing the best is, you know how God shows grace to us, no matter, and we have kind of his unmerited favor because of Christ. I like to think of that when I'm talking with someone. Like, I want to know the story. Tell me the story about how you adopted that viewpoint. Believe that they're not a terrible person. There's a story behind how they became the way they are. And if you want to change their mind, the only hope you have is a productive conversation. Outrage does not change people's minds interpersonally. I do believe in public protests. I I firmly believe in, like, you know, the same spirit that forged democracy, the Revolutionary War. I do believe in that kind of protest, but interpersonally, you really have to think carefully about how do I love this person 
I want the best for this person. And we don't see that anymore in the culture. We don't see that on the college campus. I don't, I have to spend a lot of time in my classroom helping people connect again. Like you guys, we're all here together. We may be voting for different candidates. Half of you got the vaccine. Half of you are anti-vaxxers. How are we going to get along? (laughs) Then I ask ask my attendance question. Okay, how did everyone sleep last night? You know, and then suddenly we're like talking like real humans again. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that that's that really I care a lot about that just as a writing instructor and how to help people be civil in the way they write things. They all want to rant. They want to write ranty essays where they're just arguing, complaining, but that doesn't change anyone's mind. So true. So. Heather, what would be maybe your best advice for handling fear and self-consciousness? Oh, you're going to love this. There's so much research on how much people actually like personal questions. Hmm. So think about like if I were meeting you for the first time and I'm really nervous, I'm nervous what you're going to think about me. I don't know what I'm going to ask. Guess what? The research shows that if I ask you a personal question, you actually will like me a lot more than I think you will because people love personal questions, Mm. even if it's awkward, they love it. So if I'm like, you know, Bill, it's so good to see you. Tell me about how your day's going or whatever I ask, you're going to love that I asked you a question. And then the book really talks about where to go next once you ask that first question. But my favorite thing that I've learned as a Christian is to have conversations by faith, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So in other words, most of the time, I feel awkward and unsure of myself. And I have to literally approach a person and I say, God, without faith, it's impossible to please you. I'm doing this by faith. And I'll approach someone and I'll say, hey, it's so good to see you. And I'll ask the first question by faith, scared out of my mind. Because guess what? People are nervous. It is, it is hard, especially if you're an introvert or someone who has had a history of rejection and you're rejection sensitive. You have to think, okay, God, you're with me. And what happened is I was having lunch with someone who was very nervous to have lunch with me. And I write about this in the book. She said to me, Heather, I prayed and I asked God to give me a question to ask you because I was so nervous. And then she asked me, she said, I'm having this conversation by faith. (laughs) So cute. So, yeah. Do you want to know what she asked me? Well, I'm kind of curious now, yeah. She said, um, how have you handled the att- all the attention that you got after you were seated with Christ? What was that like for you? Mm. No, one, no one has really asked me that. No one asked me that. And I thought, you know what? There's good things and bad things. We talked for an hour and a half. And she's a private person who ha- would have no desire for fame or wealth or any kind of public influence. So I was able to ask her, what is it like for you to be someone who prizes privacy and would net, what would you do if God called you to be in a public position? It was just a great conversation. That's so interesting. All right. It's break time. One more time. Dr. Heather Holloman is my guest. Her book coming out in October is called the six conversations pathways to connecting in an age of isolation and incivility. We'll be right back. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold, Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a special repeat performance. 
either put on your calendar for October by Heather Holloman's new book, or you can go pre-order it right now. You can do that at Amazon.com. Heather Holloman is a uh, speaker and teacher and writer, and so glad to have her on. Her book is uh, called The Six Conversations, Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility. Uh, so, Heather, you know, maybe, you know, when you went to revisit the basics of how to have a great conversation, being interested, being curious, all that, um, what what do we need to return to or maybe learn for the first time? Listening well. I don't think people know how to listen to each other. That's the, that's the one thing I learned the most in this book, and I'm just going to give you an example. I learned to listen for people's core values when they're talking. Okay. So my friends say I, I was trying to connect with a business person in my town, and she kept saying, oh, I have this project. I just didn't think I did my best work. And I noticed that's a theme every time I talk to her. So I said to her, I said, Dr. S., every time we talk, it seems like you really value excellence and doing a good job. And when you don't perceive that you're doing a good job, that's really hard for you. Do you know what she said to me? She goes, oh, my gosh, you get me. You totally get me. That's 100% who I am. She literally said, can you come by my office next week because I love talking to you. Mm. So I was like, I was like, okay, wait, this is working. This is helping, you know, this, people feel loved when I do this. So my friend, the engineer who I was talking about, Stephanie, she um, loves to invite me, like, to do crazy things with her, like sit on the 50-yard <laughs> line or, like, go parasailing. She's like a marathon runner. So I said to her the other day, Stephanie, I feel like your core value is adventure. Like, you need adventure. I got to get better at having adventures with mm. you. And she was like, Heather, you get me. Oh, my gosh, Yes. And then literally I love her because she's um, someone who has more resources than I do. So, yes, invite me on the 50-yard line to a Penn State game. Yes, invite me to your fancy <laughs> tailgate with the president. So mm-hmm. uh, he will invite me on adventures. So fun. And so listen to people's core values and also listen for the story of change. If they tell you something that's different, like someone says, oh, I just um, – started a career or whatever, say you're at a cocktail party or a wedding and someone says, oh, I started a consulting business when I turned 50, that's a story of change, something changed. And if you say, what happened at 50 that made you become a consultant, you are going to feel deeply connected to that person and they're going to tell you the story of change and you're going to love hearing that and you're, you're just going to love it. And, and the book also gives just great questions in any category to ask so as you're listening, you know where to go next in conversation. That's the best part of the book is where do I go next? What question do I ask next, especially to people that are hard to talk to, like teenagers? I have two teenagers in my house. These things work. Mm. What happens when things aren't working the way you would hope? Because you sit down and you start a conversation with a person that you've never met, and maybe it's at a dinner party or a party or something, and you realize that you've asked them 17 questions and they've not asked you one. Okay, that's going to happen because people are not trained. They need to read this book. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> another reason I wrote the book. Okay. Is I, actually, I actually asked my students, I said, how many of you have been on a date and the guy did not ask you one question? And they were like, that is the worst. My daughter goes to a school with like 2,000 students. I said, Kate, how many people ask you about your day? She was like, one person one person out of 2,000 will ask a personal question. So what I've learned to do is share my life and say, 
I even tell people, like, I love having this conversation. I said, but I'm going to tell you, I have a secret question. I have a question I'm secretly wishing that you'll ask me right now. I tell them what question I want them to ask me, Bill. I'm like, look, I really want you to ask me this right now. And they'll joke about it. And what you're doing is you're delightfully coaching your friend Mm. and how to be a good friend to you. And it's really fun. And sometimes Stephanie, the engineer, we probably need to go on a talk show together. When we were first, you know, getting together, she would say to me, okay, all I care about is math and all you care about is verbs. How is this going to work? And I'll say, well, I love it when you ask me about, and so guess what? She'll ask me about these things that I like her to ask me about, whether or not it's a book I'm writing or an upcoming trip. But um, that is going to be, that is a problem. That's why I wrote the book. So people would know you've got to ask people questions. And, And once I ask you a question, it's your turn to then, you know, ask them a question. I know. That's the worst. You hear that all the time, Bill. Is that your problem? Nobody asks you good questions? No, but I know people have had those experiences before, and I've had it as well, where you start to ask a bunch of questions, and you you know, do I I need to leave more space for them to ask me one? And So then you leave some space, and then nothing happens, so there's now there's this dead air, so you jump in with another question, and then all of a sudden you you realize you've talked for, you know, 15 minutes, and you start to feel like you're wearing them down or you're bugging them or, you know, what's with all the questions. And so, yeah. Um, well, people just, yeah, that is hard. But do you like my idea of telling them like what you secretly wish people would ask you? Cause I kind of want to know what you wish people would ask you. If you were at coffee with someone and there's that pause, what are you hoping they'll ask you about? That is so interesting. Do you know how you would answer? Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how I'd answer that. It's but, in the book. There are evaluations, so you will okay. learn by the end of the book okay. what you like to talk about. Well, I, I currently don't have a copy of the book. That's true. <laughs> I'm going to get you one. Okay. So you end your book with a chapter called The Greatest Conversation About God's Questions in the Book of Genesis. Okay, yes. So obviously, you know, I love Jesus. I love the Bible. Everything I write, I have to kind of hold up to Scripture. And right. sure enough... Jesus asks the best questions in every category of what it means to be human. And I loved this chapter because I'm like, look, God asks amazing questions. And that chapter is really about the three questions that God asks us in the book of Genesis at the very beginning of the Bible. And they are questions designed to get to the heart of what everyone needs to talk about. And do you remember, by the way, do you remember what God asks? in the book of Genesis. I, you can even ask friends, like, do you guys know? Have you read the book of Genesis? Okay, what does God say? Where are you? Do you remember? Mm-hmm. So Adam and Eve, where are you? Are you ready? What have you done? And who told you you were naked? Now, I talk about those questions and what they mean in terms of theology. So the first one is actually, where are you? I love that because that question is sort of like, where are you in relation to God? Like what's happening in your spiritual life? Where are you in your life on your spiritual journey? The second question is actually who told you you were naked? Because that, that is what God asks in Genesis 3. He says, who told you you were naked? Now, what I love about that question is it's basically asking who gave you this knowledge that you're now living by? So what I one of the most important conversations we can have in the culture is who are you authorizing to tell you about yourself? That's so good. Right? Yeah, oh, that's I so good. I my world. Yeah. The third question, what is this have you done? Because guess what? 
you know this, I know this, what have you done? Everyone has to come to terms with the fact that they are sinners in need of a Savior. Mm-hmm. When God says, what have you done? He, that is the question that God is asking us. We need to come to terms with our need for a Savior and that we are sinners. So I love God's questions in Genesis. And so my book ends with the three great questions in Genesis and how we can all move to the greatest conversation. Because once we know how we'd answer those questions and we walk closely with God, we are actually able to bless people in conversation and lead them to what I call is the greatest conversation. Mm. Heather, you make this fun and easy. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk about your brand new book coming out in October. It's called The Six Conversations, Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility. My guest has been Dr. Heather Holloman. You can learn more about her at heatherholloman.com. Heather, have a great rest of the week and blessings on your travel and everything about your day. Thank you. You too. This has been wonderful. It's been fun as always. That wraps up our show for the day. Thank you for listening and spending time with me. If you, uh, I know there's someone that you would love to hear this interview that I just had with Heather. You can text that on to them or email it to them. Go to MyFaithRadio.com and check it out. Have a great night. I will see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.